We're in the midst of a sermon series called Stepping Into Light. It's a series on prayer, really, and it's looking at prayer in terms of prayer as something as that it can be characterized as choosing to cross a threshold of encounter with God and, and holding ourselves there. And there are a lot of different thresholds that we cross in order to move into places of prayer. They're very personal, they're very individual, and I've chosen five of them to look at. There are many more than five, but I've chosen five that that I've had experience with. And as we look at these contexts and these practices, we're, we're looking at something that is about how do we come to attention? How do we come to that place where we are ready to engage with God, where we are ready to notice God's presence? And, and we, we've talked about silence as a means to that, as scripture as a means to that. Last week, we talked about thin places. But this morning, I want to talk about the way in which vocation is also one of those thresholds. Work, if you will, are various expressions of work that we refer to as, as our vocation that become something that God gives us to be and do in the world that don't just accomplish a task, but actually and primarily draw us closer to God in relationship with God. That word vocation, interestingly enough, comes from a Latin word vocare, which means voice. And that voice in the context of vocation is the divine voice, the divine voice that invites us to something and is always inviting us to relationship with himself. It's listening to an invitation from God and doing what we do leads us into hearing that invitation and we listen and respond with action. So in addition to Psalm 127, uh, which uh, Dave read for us earlier in the liturgy today, I want to read a passage from John 21 to help us to explore this way in which vocation is a means of, of engaging uh, God in, in prayer and relationship. And I want to look at John uh, 21. It's a story, interestingly enough, about fishing as Jesus, uh, the resurrected Christ, encounters his disciples after a night of fishing. And it's interesting to note, of course, that the Gospel of John, with respect to the disciples at least, and Jesus' relationship with the disciples, begins with a fishing story and ends with a fishing story. So I am not personally a, uh, a fisherman, but those of you that are, I hope you will find some joy in this text today. John 21, verses 1 through the beginning of verse 12. Jesus has died on the cross. He has appeared to his disciples in that upper room. And in the wake of all that excitement, the disciples decide to go fishing. And uh, the story John picks up here. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, then cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many. And that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. And so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, and full of large fish the net was, and 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let's pray. Lord, you invite us to your table. Help us to respond to that invitation today and listen to your voice and enjoy what you have to offer us. Help us to hear your word. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, at the risk of starting my sermon with a book review, I'm going to start my sermon with a book review. Um, I've been reading two books this summer, um, just about done with the second one by an author, a Northwestern author named David James Duncan. Duncan's books were something that I read shortly after I moved to Seattle. Our family moved to Seattle in, in 1995. And uh, they've always been what I call my initiation to some of Northwestern culture and, and life. And one of these books I wanna quote from today, it's called The River Why. And it's a book about fishing. That's obviously the reason that I want to quote from it today. It's where fishing plays a prominent part in, in the story. And the main character, Gus Orveston, mentions this text from John 21 in something that he calls his God notebook, which is a, a notebook that he started to write when he began looking for God as a young adult. And Gus uh, is someone who grows up in a household and in this household, both mother and father, uh, they met fishing and they have different ideas about what fishing should be. The mother fishes with bait, the father fishes with dry flies. They're constantly arguing. Gus finally leaves the home and he's trying to reconcile himself to, to who he is and what he is and the kind of fisherman that he is is part of that story. But a book that plays prominently in this story is a late Renaissance book on fishing by someone named Isaac Walton called The Complete Angler. And it becomes more important in the Orveston household than literally the Bible itself. And what Isaac Walton has to say and what Isaac Walton meant is key to understanding the, the primary text of this family that they spent so much of their time exegeting. It's a hilarious book. Uh, so if you, if you get the chance, I, I really encourage you to read it. But Gus reads The Complete Angler, and he decides that Isaac Walton is not talking about fishing as much as he's talking about God. And so Gus decides there must be something to this God thing. And I think um, 
I'll keep this God notebook and all of the things that I've learned about God and all of the things that I'm thinking about God, I'll put in this God notebook. And then at the end of the notebook, he includes, uh, Duncan includes the passage that Gus writes in which he mentions this, this passage from John 21, and I want to read it to you. I concluded the God notebook experiment by skimming the entire Bible, afterwards summarizing its relevance to me thus. The Bible is good in some places, dull as a seed catalog in others, and bloody and horrible in others besides that. I like the fisherman disciples and Jonah, who my father calls the human fly, and Jesus and Noah best. Balaam's ass was neat too. I also like how four of the disciples were just plain old commercial fishermen till they started to follow Jesus around on dry land and how they didn't start to do that until he kept asking them to. And after he died, they went right back out to fishing again and probably would have kept fishing if resurrected Jesus hadn't come for them. And when he came, the first thing he did was to show them that they were to catch, where to catch 153 fish that they caught. And until all that happened, those disciples were pretty much like me, except technique-wise. They just fished. And even after they quit fishing for fish, they still fished for men, whatever that means. And that's why I like them. They just minded their business, which was fishing, and only started praying and preaching when they were lured into it. And it took God's son to lure them. And maybe God told Isaac Walton about himself. How do I know? But he never told me nothing. And until he or some new son of his comes along and tells me straight out that they want me to be different than I am, than how I am, I'm going to be like the disciples. And how me and them are is, how me and them are, uh, this is really hard for someone who notices bad grammar. Um, <laughs> and how me and them are is where is we're fishermen, plain and simple. I'm going to fish as long as I can and as hard as I can, and wherever that takes me is where I'm going, be it good place or bad. Because if God is everything, the Bible and the complete angler crack him up to be, it's him that's making me want to fish anyhow, and him who will turn me into a fish or a worm or a fly or an angle or a star or a saint or a sun or a frog or a taco, wherever he decides. And what, I, what could I do about it? Nothing. Just keep fishing. That's all. And this was precisely what I proceeded to do. It's a great book. Essentially what Gus says is, I like fishing. Fishing is what I was meant to do, so I'm going to fish, and by fishing, just maybe, I'll meet this God who made me want to fish. It's a picture of what it means to allow our vocation to invite us over that threshold and hold ourselves there and wait and work and listen for God. It's a picture of how we make use of the desires God puts in us to guide us into relationship with God. 
And in John 21, we have that picture of that relationship being the primary thing. There's a question in John 21 that, that kind of Jesus starts with, and then after the disciples answer the question, he issues two invitations. The situation is that the disciples have returned to fishing. The resurrected Christ, after they have fished all night and caught nothing, the resurrected Christ appears to them on the bank, on the shore, after that fruitless night of fishing, and he asks the question. And the question is pretty simple. The question that they didn't want to hear, nor the question they wanted to answer, but the question Jesus asks is, have you caught anything? How's the fishing working for you? How are you doing? And the subtext of all of this is, what is it that seems fruitless and arid and unproductive in your life? How are you really doing? Not just have you caught anything, but are you living? And their answer is, no, we haven't caught anything. I'll leave it to you whether or not they're answering, nor are we experiencing the life you talked about, Jesus. And then Jesus issues the first invitation. Why don't you try throwing the net over on the other side? You've been fishing off the left side of the bow. Why don't you finish fish off the right side? and they throw the net in, and they bring up 153 fish. They recognize that it is Jesus, and it's at that point, after they've hauled the fish into the shore and they're all there, that they notice that Jesus has fish already going on the fire, not the fish they caught, but fish already going on the fire and bread, and he issues the second invitation. <clears throat> Bring some of the fish you've caught and come and have breakfast. There's two notable things about this second invitation, I think. Jesus, first of all, need it be pointed out, doesn't need their fish. He's already got fish going on the fire. The meal is ready. The meal is almost ready to be consumed. It has been prepared, but Jesus invites their fish. Their fish are absolutely unnecessary to the task at hand, which is breakfast, and yet he invites them to bring what they have to offer to that meal that they will now celebrate. And note also about this second thing is that Jesus says some of the fish you have caught. Well, they wouldn't have caught him if he didn't give them the signal of how to do it. So he gives them credit for something that is really entirely not something that they achieved, but something they simply received. Never mind whether their fish were necessary or who caught them, the main point is in that first, that invitation that is first and foremost, which is come and have breakfast. Come be with me at the table. 
I think Psalm 127 makes a similar kind of point. Dave read it earlier, just before our time of reflection in prayer, where the psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives sleep to his beloved Psalm 127, 1 and 2 is a kind of commentary on this story about fishing, I think. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, you labor in vain. It's an admonition to partner with God, to be a part of God's work in a particular place, to see our work as partnering with God in the work that he is already doing. It's this sense that our work is something that invites us into relationship with God. The work into which he invites us is something that is designed to grow us in relationship with him. Our lives have to do with God, says the psalmist, so include him. It's not just about the task, it's about the relationship. It's not just about what you strive to achieve and accomplish. It's not just about eating the bread, as he says, of anxious toil. It's about relationship with the one who made us. And there's an interesting break in Psalm 127. It seems like two psalms in some ways, because at first he tells us that we should participate and partner with God in the work, that if the Lord isn't building the house, then the house really isn't being built. If the Lord isn't guarding the city, then the city isn't really being guarded. What's happening is that you are working out of your anxious toil. And then he switches gears completely and says, sons indeed are a heritage from the Lord, huh? Where'd that come from? The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The psalmist is speaking essentially to men here because it's an invitation to think about how much striving they had to do in order to make in quotation marks, make the most complicated and rewarding thing that they would ever make in their lives, a child, a baby. An invitation there is to contemplate the miracles in which we participate and the work into which God invites us. Anxious toil is not what got you that son says the psalmist to the father. You participated in a work that was much bigger than you. God doesn't really need us to do a job for him. God needs us and so invites us to bring what we have to bring to any job we do. The point is not the fish, it's the breakfast. 
So come and have breakfast. Let's pray. You've made it clear that your table is open. You've made it clear that you want to feed us with yourself. You've made it clear that you have us on your minds. On your mind, help us to rest in that. Help us to revel in that. And help us to respond in the energy that only that identity can bring. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.